0: Erie's pizza bomber story received national attention once again when the Netflix documentary Evil Genius was released in May. Marjorie Deal Armstrong's headshot resurfaced, along with details of the case that were stagnant for 15 years. Tucked away and forgotten with the mystery, fascination, and bizarre nature of what unfolded on Erie County's Peach Street on Thursday, August 28, 2003. As you heard in Episode 1, some questions linger in the case. Questions remain unanswered. Some specifics were forgotten over the span of 15 years. You're listening to the second part of two episodes of the Go Erie podcast, That Thing We Do. This two-part series will focus on Erie's pizza bomber case. If you need a refresher on what happened the day of August 28, 2003 and the players involved, go back and listen to episode one. I'll be your host, Erie Times News online reporter Sarah Grabski. I had a thirst to fill those gaps 15 years after Brian Wells walked into what used to be the PNC Bank and what Erie County natives know as Summit Township. I had the opportunity to sit down with Erie Times News reporter Ed Palatella, who covered the bombing closely, and Jerry Clark, who was the lead on the case for the FBI. Jerry, who's now retired from the FBI, is a professor at Gannon University. Ed still works at the Erie Times News and covers investigative topics, courts, crime, and the Erie School District. Both have co-authored two books on the pizza bombing case. We set out to fill in the space where your imagination wonders why things ended up the way they did in the pizza bomber case, to try and ease the what ifs, the whys, and the hows that undoubtedly arise when you hear the details surrounding this case. Before we get to them, you should know that the questions we are going to answer aren't based on anyone's opinion. No theories or conspiracies. The information we are presenting to you is what law enforcement uncovered through an almost decade-long investigation. This information is based on the federal investigation.
1: What I believe to be accurate from the evidence gained, again, it's not Jerry Clark's opinion. It's evidence gained through, um, you know, witnesses and such.
0: Let's get started with the questions. To me, one of the biggest what-ifs involves Robert Panetti. Panetti, if you recall, was a colleague of Brian Wells. He died less than 48 hours after the bombing from what law enforcement officials called a drug overdose. His role is perhaps the most asked about because it wasn't really shared what investigators envisioned his part in the scheme was.
1: Well, Mr. Panetti's role, um, according to other people that were involved in the case, was actually to make sure that Brian Wells continued to participate In the scheme. So if you look at Evil Genius and their view of Mr. Panetti, it was really minimized because in order for them to say Brian Wells did not know what was going on in the case, they couldn't say that Panetti was there to help make sure he was involved. So that's, I think, why you don't see much of Mr. Panetti in that show. The agents went to see Mr. Panetti at work. He was Uh, busy saying he was working his shift so he asked if he could be interviewed on Monday and uh, Monday never came for Mr. Panetti so that was the sad part and really an investigative gaffe in my opinion You know, we should have definitely made sure we spoke to him when we had him and and we did not. We're thinking of Wells uh, and Panetti as partners at work which they were and that Mr. Panetti might have background on what Mr. Wells did but certainly weren't thinking at that point according to the description that we had, that he fit anything that would relate him to the case. So that's why the maybe the importance of the interview seemed less at the time, but it turned out to be very important. And I think the other thing that you have to look back at is Panetti's actions after the the device went off in the day of the bank robbery, because he immediately became highly nervous and was looking and, and seeking some sort of way to defend himself and we were thinking at the time from what i mean what are you defending yourself from so looking for a gun and talking to his sister and brother so there's a lot of activity and um movements by panetti that that just indicated that he was highly nervous
0: that made me wonder if the others who were involved indicated that they knew panetti during their interviews
1: yes and again co-defendants that that uh that were involved in the case, including uh, Kent Barnes and, and Floyd Stockton, who, who began to participate, and then even statements made by Marjorie Deal. Armstrong herself indicated that they all knew who Panetti was and that Panetti was at pre-planning meetings and the day the device was put on.
0: Another one of the co-conspirators that I wanted to talk about, Bill Rothstein. He had been caught making seven separate trips to the landfill with all kinds of materials he claimed were from Jim Roden's killing. He was arrogant to a fault and a well-known handyman.
1: I think Rothstein really is, is underplayed in this whole scheme and plot. I think Marjorie D. Armstrong, you know, is always labeled the mastermind. And when you, when you look back, I think there's two different things going on here. Marjorie D. Armstrong was a absolute money hoarder and she wanted more money. Even if she had a little bit of money, it was just never enough. And she wanted her father dead and, and she wanted it, the inheritance in order to kill him, you know, she needed to pay someone to do that. And Ken Barnes you know, volunteered to do it for her. But he wanted 250000 Well, where am I going to get 250000 Well, let's rob the bank. So the, the idea to rob the bank was, I think, that Marjorie Deal. And it, it, it was her idea, Marjorie Deal Armstrong. But the scheme and the whole overall plot of how that happens, that rests on Rusty And everything in this, uh, if you look at the notes... And if you look at the cane gun and if you look at the scavenger hunt, it's all Rothstein. And his fingerprints are all over everything.
0: So to summarize what Jerry's saying, Rothstein and Stockton provided the infrastructure and Marjorie Deal Armstrong provided the plot to put everything in motion.
1: Oh, she knew. And and she knew he had the skills. Exactly right. He he had made pipe bombs in the past. He dealt with robotics. He was an HVAC guy. He knew uh, wiring. Um, He just had all the prerequisites to put this all together but the idea to to come up with this master scheme to you know put a bomb around a guy's neck and it being a pizza delivery driver and and then the scavenger hunt and that's all rosting and i think he thought he was smarter than everybody and he was going to do what he thought was the perfect crime and this thing was anything but perfect and it was so poorly designed, quite honestly, if you look at it, but an overthought and, and so much involved. It didn't need to be there. Nine pages of notes, you know, the whole thing. But uh, it just never worked like he had envisioned this perfect plan
0: would. Another thing I think sticks with a lot of people is that Wells was moments away from dying. And yet he stuck to his story that a group of black men strapped the bomb on him. He never once mentioned Barnes, Panetti, Stockton, Deal Armstrong, or Rothstein. Similarly, when Clark was interviewing Rothstein while he was on his deathbed, he never confessed. That can be troubling, he said.
1: That's the that's the hard part of this sometimes, because I, you know, was there obviously when the conversations taking place with Mr. Wells and he could have ended it right there that day, you know, these are the people involved and he didn't and he actually stuck to the story they gave him. Now, you we can debate why he did that and the fear involved that they might have been watching and so I, I, I can get all that, but when I think back to that day thinking, wow, this thing could have been really, really done that day. And then when I'm interviewing Rostin in the hospital and and I gave him every opportunity to just cleanse his soul and, and tell uh, us what happened. And he just I, I, I could see it in his face, he just would not give you the satisfaction of that. And he was dead four days later. And that that always Puzzled me, but Rossstein in that hypothetical said, "Well, maybe they put." I'm interviewing Rossstein, and I, that's when I walk out of that. Uh, that's that September 21st date, and I said, "You know, hypothetically, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't agree to um, talk about anything that he had direct knowledge of." But I then said, "Well, let's do some hypotheticals, Bill. You're me. You're Jerry Clark. You know, you're a really bright guy because I was playing to his ego." <laughs> You're a really bright guy, you're already smarter than anybody here. Um, let me ask you, what would you do if you're me? You know, why would why would Brian Wells not just drive right to the police department with a bomb? You know, why would he go rob the bank? And he said, Well, hypothetically, Jerry, if he had been told that there were wires in the collar, and he'd be shocked if he went off course. And I sat back and I'm thinking, my God, who comes up with that in two seconds? You know, as a I thought that's that's brilliant and that's probably what happened.
0: But that was just Bill Rothstein. People who'd had him as a substitute teacher in area school districts and Erie School District remember him this way.
1: Yeah, William D. Schmuck. That's what he put his name in the phone book as. And he that's what he was. He was just uh, a master at at manipulation and and having people believe he was one way when he was another. And we found all these recordings, this never really comes out a lot, but we found all these recordings in his house that he would tape almost everybody he talked with. Even if he called, you know, Penelec or National Fuel Gas to complain about his bill, he was taping it, always trying to be smarter than or better than. And he was so condescending in talking to these people. And, and I, I listened to those tapes over and over and, and thought, this is such a unique personality and people don't really understand the true Bill Ross.
0: My next question was, if he was so prideful and thought so highly of himself, why would he turn in Deal Armstrong? Isn't that basically implicating himself in the crime? He
1: just, and that's a great point. A lot of people talk, when I go present somewhere, Ed and I go present, they'll say, well, why would he ever turn her in? I mean, that makes no sense. He's doing, he's basically turning himself in. Well, he thought he would, you know, be able to, talk himself out of it that he was smarter than that and he truly it shows you how truly in fear he was of her so they were paranoid of each other even so he thought he was gonna maybe get killed by her because he wasn't moving quickly enough so interesting how they had this dynamic of each other you know trusting but then distrusting and uh (laughs) It it was shocking. At one point, he had told Stockton, I'll never forget this, when we were interviewing Stockton, he said, hey, I'm going to meet Marge. He called her Marge, Marge. I'm "I'm going to meet Marge, and if I'm not back in 15 minutes, she killed me. So you think, wow, you know, here's somebody that's supposed to be your ex-fiance, friend, you know, confidant, involved in a scheme together, and he was worried she was going to kill him.
0: But from what I've gathered, the entire group of co-conspirators... The dynamic is just one that we may never be able to relate to or understand.
1: Zero trust. In fact, the day of the robbery, you could see that they were all in panic on whether or not Brian actually got the money because he was supposed to tie the ribbon around the fire hydrant and the money would have already been transferred. And that's where everybody, I think, gets lost in this. Rothstein was supposed to get the money right outside of the bank, but that transfer could never take place because witnesses were on the phone and they were watching him. So he never got close enough to make the transfer. Well, then Marjorie's paranoid that he has the money. Bill's paranoid that he doesn't have the money. Stockton's probably wondering, well, I'm supposed to pick it up in a dumpster. It's not here. So it, it became a complete paranoia fest.
0: So with that being said, I wanted to sort out exactly what law enforcement thought everyone's role was supposed to be the day of the bombing. Well,
1: Rothstein's role certainly was to be on scene, meet Brian outside of the bank, get the money, and then transfer it to a dumpster. And Stockton's role was to take the money out of the dumpster and bring it up to um, Ross Dean's house. Um, Ken Barnes and Marjorie Deal were assigned to sit across the street in the Eaton Park parking lot with binoculars, which uh, both had discussed uh, with us, with law enforcement, and watch the bank get robbed. And so they all did their roles. Marge panicked, and that's when you see her going the wrong way on 79 because she's not sure what's going on. She's trying to get to one of those sites, and then she rushes up to Bill's house, and he's saying, you know, we don't have the money. We didn't get the money. So there was a lot of disbelief amongst themselves on on just what had happened that
0: day. Another question that we've heard time and time again. Was Rothstein's house checked the day of the robbery?
1: Yes, well, we we do what's called a neighborhood canvas. So anybody that's near where any of your sites are for uh, criminal activity, we certainly were knocking on the door. It took us a day or two to find him, but he did answer the door at one point, walked back, said, I've never been back here, you know, total fiction. Uh, And, you know, at that point we didn't have anything to connect them really. Just, again, that arrogance. And the note, you think back to the suicide note that he made. I mean, this guy's a true narcissist. He was never going to kill himself. But, he, you know, the first thing is this has nothing to do with the Wells case. Well, why would you think to do that? And like Ed, you had just said, it was an overthinking of, you know, hey, I'm, I'm smarter than that, so I can prove the obvious. And it, it's actually the opposite.
0: Brian Wells left investigators with information that three black men forced him to rob the bank. That was the only tip that law enforcement had to work with. Some of the leads and roads they went down were just wild, Clark said.
1: Well, certainly on scene, there was so much activity and roads were blocked and people were getting out of their cars and running to get to work. And so you hear a witness say, hey, we saw someone running, you know, down this one direction. And you think, oh, no, is that related to this or is it related to so yes, we had a numerous uh, call-ins about different activity that looked bizarre and strange, and then certainly we had a couple uh, what we would call persons of interest uh, early on in the case from one of the other prostitutes' names that was found in in Brian Wells' notebook, and he had been in the army, and he happened to be African American, and he had made. You know explosive devices as his job in the army i mean it, it looked extremely interesting then we had a um, individual who worked at the pizza shop uh where now you had two deceased pizza delivery drivers who had got uh at least um insinuated that he had stole money from the stolen money from the um, cash register and he said well you know I'm gonna get back at you sometime so he had made sort of a threat against there so now we think it's him that might be involved. So we had a couple really interesting and really um, good leads that we were following that turned out to be totally unrelated. We had people that were camping <laughs> behind like where the country fair was in that in that wooded area and we thought or living or I, I, and I thought, we would have never stumbled across them if we did not be searching the woods. But think, how is this, you know, all coming together, this this bizarre behavior of things? Um, And so there were so many things that we had to rule out, and and I think we did a pretty good job of that, uh, getting rid of people early if we knew that they didn't have any involvement.
0: That led me to ask, how exactly did investigators get the group they were looking for finally?
1: You know, it was one of those things where once we had Ross Dean turn in Marjorie, now we have at least some, and, and I interviewed him that day. So that's September 21st, 2003, about a month after the, the actual um, bank robbery. And I walk out of the room, I'm 100% convinced in my mind that he has some involvement. Now, that means zero in court. I, I now have to start figuring out how to make some links here. And it took a while. But the first link we start to establish is that he had Floyd Stockton living in his house at the time of the bank robbery. And Floyd Stockton was a wanted fugitive from the state of Washington. And he immediately, maybe a day or two later, was able to sneak out of the house because we had so much presence at the house doing um, crime scene of the tower site that he couldn't get out. Finally, when he was able to get out in the cover of darkness, he went and hid uh, in Lake City, Pennsylvania. And we finally found him about four or five days later. Now, again, he initially starts to lie immediately. I don't know anything, I have no involvement. So, But it, it gave you another piece. And so pieces like that were starting to come together. But the real crux, I think, of the investigative linkage was made through Jessica. I mean, because once we knew, Brian knew Jessica, with his own notebook having her name and his handwriting, and that Jessica went to Ken Barnes' house to get crack, and that Ken obviously knew Marge and Bill. That started to put the whole thing together. So the links that solidified this case actually came through Jessica.
0: Jessica Hoopsick. She played a huge role in Evil Genius. What did investigators think now?
1: Jessica was extremely difficult to interview. Anybody who's ever met her uh, knows that she's very intelligent normally, but she was certainly addicted and, and crack addicted specifically. And so every time we tried to interview her, she was in some various state. People don't realize that the numbers of times we met with her and we would take her to a woman's shelter or we would take her to treatment for her addiction and she'd last a few days or maybe even a month and then right back at it and she was nervous and I could tell she wasn't telling us the complete truth but slowly we would get pieces that we could corroborate with Ken Barnes once he started to talk and then Floyd Stockton once he started to talk but she initially uh, said listen I did introduce Brian to them and then it was the other people that said Brian had involved him. and it all came together from that but it was very difficult process dealing with her what it did tell me was this she doesn't back up if you listen to what she says in evil genius she doesn't really back up saying that i introduced brian to them mm-hmm. she still agrees with that so she's consistent there where her difference lies in evil genius is that she goes a step further to say he didn't know anything about it and that's that's the part that's just completely inconsistent with the other evidence that we got from the case, including witnesses, not just, co, co- you know, defendants or cooperators, but witnesses who saw him the day before at the tower site and, and such. So it doesn't make sense.
0: The underlying and big question on all of our listeners' minds, was Brian Wells innocent or did he play some sort of role in the pizza bombing scheme?
1: This was not a random call. And again, I have no, you know, hope or desire that it ends one way or the other or that Brian was in or wasn't in. As the investigator of the FBI, our goal is to just seek out the truth and follow the evidence. And the evidence was the consistency of statements from people that were totally independent. So these statements, so for example, if I sat with a group of people and they all are nodding, yes, 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 they're all in agreement. That's one thing, but these were all independent. Nobody knew what each other were telling me. So we had Stockton, we had um, Barnes, we had Michael Doug, Douglas, the witness, who sees him the day before. They never met each other in, in after the case. or I mean, I knew Stockton and, and, and certainly Barnes and each other, but since they had been separated and the event happened, they never saw each other. They didn't know what each other were telling me and they didn't get any conversation, so if they're independently telling us things that we could prove and corroborate through other sources, it appears that Brian had knowledge and again, as sad as that is, because he tried to back out uh, when he saw the device on the real day that it happened and he couldn't and they they basically just duped him, they told him it was not going to go off, it's fake and he had to have faith in that, I guess, and I believe he did.
0: That would explain the lack of filling in law enforcement on exactly what was going on when he was just moments away from dying.
1: Exactly, and why he was so casual in the bank, swinging the bag and the money and and, and the cane gun, and then getting the lollipop and mm-hmm. and then just asking some of the questions. Even during the conversation with the Pennsylvania State Police, it there was no imminent there that you could really sense. He kept saying, I'm not lying, but, and, and that's the part people hear, but he was also saying, you know, can I have a cigarette? And hey, this thing's heavy, can't you come get it off? And, you know, just sort of casually talking. I mean, it was, just, I don't know.
0: Jerry was one of the investigators to complete the scavenger hunt path. And he determined there was no way Wells could actually have saved his own life.
1: There's no way in the 57 minutes, if he would have gotten to the second timer, or maybe had an additional time. But In that 57 minutes that they figure he had on a 60-minute timer, uh, there was not a chance that he was going to get through all the sites. I always go back to this. Brian Wells died a horrific death on tape in front of now millions of people who have seen it, and I'll always feel bad for him and his family for what they've gone through. So I I need to put that out there immediately. But the second thing is maybe that is why he stuck on that course. Um, But he didn't ever say what he knew mm-hmm. and and so for whatever reason that happened uh i'll always be
0: you know wondering. this is perhaps what makes the case even more fascinating we'll always be wondering another thing that i wondered how would the case look different if the pizza bombing scheme happened in 2018 how would the investigation look?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think of the technology differences just from 2003 to where we are, it's totally different. Someone would have had him on video. I have no doubt about it. Um, we, we certainly had phone calls uh, that we were able to do then, but we would have had videotape, I'm sure. It it, it would have probably changed the whole complexity of, of the case. You might have had text between the... Uh Some of the DNA and the touch DNA that we have Mm -hmm. now, because we actually had DNA in that payphone handset, uh, but it was blended and they couldn't separate out strands. I wonder now if if you would be
0: able to do that. And why no homicide charges? This sits with some people the wrong way because of the way that Brian Wells died. Some have wondered why things were charged the way they were in the federal investigation.
1: Well, in the federal system, there's no real... Statute for a homicide, but the way we charged it was a bank robbery in which a death resulted. So it's basically a similar charge, just the word homicide is not necessarily in the charge, but uh, you know, certainly bank robbery in which a death resulted through the use of a destructive device, and that carried the same real uh, penalty that you would on the homicide side.
0: Ken Barnes is serving his sentence in Florida, where apparently his health is failing, Jerry said. Deal Armstrong died in 2017 of breast cancer while serving her sentence in Fort Worth, Texas. Rothstein died in 2004. Panetti died in 2003. Wells died in 2003. The only remaining person that is free is Floyd Stockton, who is in Washington State.
1: Stockton had uh worked out a deal with the United States Attorney's Office for a a limited immunity in uh, where he would then testify at trial. He had a medical issue at the time of trial and never even testified. His, I mean, it's one of those things that you'll always wonder about for me. If you ask me what I wonder about, I don't wonder about if Brian Wells was in or out. I don't wonder about if Jessica's telling the truth or not now versus then. It's, it, I know, I know what, what, what the truth was with that. To me, it's whether or not Stockton truly you know, received what he deserved in relationship to this. And that's one of those things that, that's out of my control because I'm an investigator, not a prosecutor, and I'm certainly not a judge. So I investigate and I bring my case, and decisions are made that, that don't involve me with the relationship to my investigation. So.
0: And the topic isn't even nearly saturated. People, some of them from Erie, have an infatuation, an obsession with this case, Jerry said, even 15 years later.
1: It's just, and I can't stop talking about it, which is weird. People say to me, aren't you tired of that? And I say...
0: I'm really not. I, I could talk about
1: it all the time because it just makes me feel better today, you know, and I think we did it the right way.
0: The pizza bomber case is something Erie's going to be talking about for years to come. That's all for us today. Thanks for listening to this special series of Go Erie's podcast, That Thing We Do. If you have suggestions or feedback, please email your host, Sarah Grabski, at sgrabsky at timesnews.com. Because we know you can't get enough, for GoErie's thorough and comprehensive pizza bomber coverage, go to goerie.com/topics/pizza-bomber.